Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Yeah, that's what you say. Well, it's that time again, ladies and gentlemen. Time for True Crime Uncensored at OutlawRadioLive.com. Nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, I am the legendary Burl Bear. And over there, Mark Boyer, our fact checker and co-host extraordinaire. Yes, sir. And on the phone, Leonard Lee Bouchel, author of the brilliant book, Hi, Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. <laughs> I've read this book about three times and it never fails to amaze, amuse, you'd be aghast, agog, and thunderstruck. Leonard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Burl Bear. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You are our favorite former drug smuggler. And <laughs> you're, you have so many appearing on your show. I'm so glad. <laughs> well, you're actually the only drug smuggler uh, we have on the show. No, no, no. We had uh, <clears throat> we had another one. We had another drug smuggler? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, corrupt cops. Well, that's right. I don't know if they smuggled, though. They dealt. They yeah. certainly did. Well, they, they, they got drugs that were smuggled. <laughs> yes. It's kind of a downline distribution. But Leonard actually... He's Are smuggled. we going to be impressionistic with this conversation, or are we <laughs> going to stick to the facts, ma'am, just the facts? Just the facts. Okay, just... I was never a drug dealer. No. I was, I'm sorry, I was never a smuggler. Yeah? I smuggled twice, which does not a career make. No. But I was a drug dealer for 23 years. Yeah, well, there was the time when you had some uh, young lady with a girdle on with a bunch of hashish in it. That's one of the two times. Yes, the other time it was in my crotch. <laughs> well, you certainly know how to have a good time. Reading this book again, and if you haven't read it yet, I suggest you get the book. It's called High. It has a great picture of Leonard when he was... It's not a mugshot, but it's a great photo. Well, I don't know if you got... I'm sorry, I don't know if you got the press release, but it was republished with a different title. What's it called now? I, an X-rated marijuana memoir. Well, it certainly is. <laughs> so if you're going to Amazon, it's High, an X-rated marijuana memoir. Well, okay. good. Yes. I have the first edition. It is. Yes. It is very good. <laughs> Makes it more valuable, I'm sure. The stories are incredible. And what I was thinking was, if you hadn't had the life you had, you wouldn't be who you are today. <laughs> Well, couldn't that be said about most of us? Yeah, I mean, but you had such incredible, bizarre adventures, life-threatening at times. Yes, but you introduced the country to Procrol Harem yeah. and the whiter shade of pale, or was it the Moody Blues that you first launched? It was the Moody Blues. They sent me a tape thanking me for making me the millionaires they are today. <laughs> well, that's more significant than me just getting half the state of California high for all those years. <laughs> I'm sure there are those who thank you. And, I'm sure there are. Uh, I'm probably their children. Uh, after 20-some years of uh, being a, a drug dealer, and a drug that now is legal in most places. Which I you, don't know about most places. Well, here. Anyway. California. Yeah. Uh, when you did get arrested, you and your mother. Well, the cops raided our house, and... and my mother tried to stop them from going up to her bedroom, and they didn't like that. So they arrested her for interfering with, with the actions of a police officer. Oh. And me, they just arrested for the 
hashish that they found in the house. She got you a good lawyer, though. He got a great lawyer. I think he might have little, been a little bit connected because he says, yo, you know, we can get you off completely off charge for $3,000. And my mother said, how do you do that? And, and, and he said, well, I get 750 The prosecuting attorney gets 750 The judge gets 750 And the mayor of Philadelphia gets 750 And you walk. What the heck of a deal? <laughs> Sounds like uh, capitalism at its best. There it is. Yes. Uh, the, the politics of Philadelphia. Amazing. And so you did walk. I, I did. I, I, I walked. I, 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 uh, I sauntered. <laughs> uh, yeah, he trucked. <laughs> he trucked. Yeah. Rambled. <laughs> Rambled. Rambled, all of the above. <laughs> and you kept right on dealing. You did. Uh, yes. And they didn't hassle you after that? Well, no, they didn't have to that. Now, I would like to start, uh, I'd like to back it up just a bit. Go right ahead. So you're, you are using the drugs, or abusing as the case may be. How did you, how did you get involved in distribution? No, I'm saying, I'm going back to your original question. Because you said I was either using or abusing, but you didn't ask me which I was doing. Well, I was just a, a preamble to the question, because you Sorry. were already into the drugs, so I want to know how you got from using the drugs to distribution. The second time I ever bought marijuana, uh, I bought a pound, I sold three quarters of the pound, and I ended up getting the last quarter pound for free. Hmm. Uh, and I thought, well, that, that, that works. Uh, and the next <laughs> I bought marijuana, I bought enough, you know, like a pound and a half, and when I sold a pound and a quarter, I had a quarter pound for me, and I had money. So now I could get high and go do things. It's pretty simple, it's pretty just math, it's pretty pure capitalism. You know, you buy a hundred of something, you sell nine, you know, you buy a hundred for a hundred dollars, and you sell 99 of them for two dollars, and you make anyway, but I won't go into the mathematics of drug dealing. I'm sure everybody who's out there who's dealing drugs knows exactly how that works. Anybody who doesn't, they shouldn't care. That's right. <laughs> but it was it was lucrative for you. I made a living. And you traveled. I had to go places. Marijuana was most uh, easily purchased in Miami, Florida, and I lived in Philadelphia. So there were, uh, I remember once my mother called me and she said, so what are you doing today? I said, I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Miami. She said, you go to Miami as often as I go to the toilet. <laughs> I said, let me get you some cocaine. That won't be a problem. <laughs> but she already had a bad heart. I didn't want to do that. But yes, yeah, she said, you go as often as I, yeah. Uh, and I did. I used to. I was a commuter. When that- uh, drive or Eastern Airlines to buy, to buy, and then transport to Philadelphia, Staten Island, and New York City. Yeah, it was, it was a very exciting time. I was nervous. You know, it was like you had to be high, otherwise you'd be too nervous. Uh, so you didn't get paranoid when you were high. Uh, well, like I said, I was never paranoid. They actually were after me. Yeah. <laughs> They 
actually wanted to put me in jail for 23 years that I was actively dealing drugs. That was when it was illegal. <laughs> uh, so I was never actually paranoid. There were people after me. Not directly after me. I mean, they weren't outside my house uh, with, you know, with a surveillance team, but I knew in general if they opened up the trunk of my car, I would be looking at Sing Sing for a number of years. Yeah, but that didn't stop you. Did you? you I mean, you kept a. Uh... No, not no. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. Uh, it, no, it didn't stop me. It was that. That was the. You know, like they say, when when you have a fear, walk through it. Yeah. Or ignore it. And uh, you were driving. Uh, I mean, you, you probably seen that movie. Was it American Gangster with uh, Denzel Washington, where his girlfriend buys him a. Uh, you know, a big fur coat or whatever it is, so he looks like a drug dealer. I haven't seen that. Oh, and uh, is it on Netflix? It's a yeah. yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It's a true story. And uh, it isn't until he looks like a drug dealer that the cops start paying attention to him. Because yeah. before that, he didn't. He had a low profile. So what do you think? She was trying to set him up. No, she no. just didn't think about it. So they were. They were, she was an idiot. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you, you take unsophisticated individuals and you you put them in a position where they have money. They there's so much money they can't spend it all. They do stupid things. Oh, uh, that unfortunately was never my problem. <laughs> but it seems to be a common theme amongst a lot of the guests that we uh, we have. Um, well, you have real criminals on your show. Ah. There's a difference. You were more of an outlaw. How to make real money. It, it, interesting. I have an acquaintance that um, got into the the back end of the cannabis uh, wave. Not necessarily distribution, but uh, providing all of the ancillary products that go with it. So uh, he has a facility for oils and extraction and edibles. Mm-hmm. Um, paraphernalia, and um, he, you know, he just, there's no way you, you to put it on a tax form. You know, your federal taxes, he has to put something else on it. Well, I'm, I'm sure he's very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, you know, he has, you know, more money than he knows what to do with. I just read Ed Begley Jr.'s autobiography. It's called To the Temple of Tranquility and Step on It. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great title. And and, and in the book, he, he, he admits he was a pot smoker at, at, a, at a certain time. Uh, and Might he's also being St. honored Elsewhere. at the Skirball Cultural Center December 6th uh, at the Experience, Strength, and Hope Awards. Uh, for the value of, of his memoir and how entertaining it is and what a good cautionary tale it was because it was a moment literally in court in front of the judge to have to stop drinking or stop driving. And Ed took out his car keys and placed them on the, uh, in the judge's, uh, on whatever that is, wherever they sit. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He chose, he said, I'll stop driving, but I'm not going to stop drinking. Well, that was honest of him. Yes, it was, and it was made the city a little safer that he wasn't drinking and driving. Uh, and he's being honored, uh, and the person giving him the award 
is the co-founder of the rock band Duran Duran. Well, that rhymes nicely. The rock band Duran Duran. Yes, very familiar. John Taylor is the presenter. And if any of your listeners are friends, uh, friends of NPR, uh, the comedian Paula Poundstone is the MC this year. I just watched uh, one of her specials on TV the other night. Boy, she's had it rough. How so? Um, uh, abuse and mental issues and she almost kids. Uh, she's a tall uh, comedian lady. Not that tall. Hmm. No, she's Paula Poundstone. There's no, there's no confusing her with anybody else. She's a very, very long. She's career. very funny. As hell. And if any of your listeners want to attend, uh, there's a full dinner. There's a catered networking reception for two hours with all the delicious food you can eat. Uh, tickets are a hundred dollars. But if any of your listeners, so call Burroughs' uh, land, uh, personal landline. Or, or reach me on Facebook. Uh, I have a name. It's Leonard Bouchel, B-U-S-C-H-E-L. Uh, and I'd be happy. So it's a really fun event, very funny, a great musical guest. Uh, and I think it's our 13th year, and people come back year after year. Yes, so any of the listeners to this fabulous Interesting, eclectic, <laughs> abstract, bizarre, esoteric, psychedelic radio show. They should call me, Facebook me, email me. I'm not that hard to find. In fact, I'll be at the Pete's Coffee Shop in Studio City. <laughs> <laughs> Very easy to find. It's across the street from Arts Deli. Oh, well, we don't want to go to Arts Deli. Way there's overpriced. A, there's a Chin Chin restaurant above the Pete. <laughs> I'll be there from 10, 10, 10 in the morning until noon. Well, at least we know where to find you. Speaking of eclectic radio shows, you and your brother used to do one, didn't you? We had L- WLDB in Atlantic City. The tagline, the underground shoots up at midnight. <laughs> no, really? And uh, that was before needles were popular. We were way ahead of our time. You were. Uh, yeah, we, we found a, a country station that went off the air at midnight during the week, and on the weekend they went off the air even sooner. They said, hey, you know, pay us this much money, and we went out and we got advertising from the local community, and we had a radio show in Columbia Records, you know, albums uh, that we were playing, and it was the night that the police raided the boarding house we were staying in found weed and had us on a search warrant. And then they went to the radio show, the radio station uh, in Atlantic City, and arrested him uh, on the air. <laughs> and the other announcer at the time, I was out scoring Panama Red at the 500 Club in, in Atlantic City, a very famous club. Uh, but I heard it on the radio, and my friend Joe... Uh, Announced it like it was a ball game. <laughs> Doing play by play. Yeah, play by play. Yes, they're now handcuffing him. Wait a second, he's resisting. No, he's not resisting. He's going willingly. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a unique event he's in radio me. history. He's leaving me the keys to his car so I can go bail him out later. Now, um, how did how did you get the bail money? Well, 
Philadelphia Bulletin, uh, and I, I use junkieism because, as you know, I've been publishing uh, the Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin for the last ten years. Uh, in Philadelphia, growing up, we'd get the Inquirer, the Philadelphia in the morning, and around noon, the can store and get the daily news for sports and, and commentary, and and then in the afternoon, we'd go to the news box, and there'd be the Bulletin, the evening Bulletin. Uh, and in the bulletin, there was a little ad saying, police found wild marijuana growing in an, an empty lot in South Philadelphia. And my friend, Jody Angelo, was, of course, Italian. He said, we should go. We should go to my, my territory. And we rode around until we saw big pot tents hanging, uh, growing in a vacant lot. And we cut them down and stuck them in the trunk of the car. Huh. Couldn't even close the trunk of the car because so, they were so bushy. Uh, and we like sort of tied down the trunk, so we're driving through South Philadelphia with marijuana plants sticking out the back of the car. But nobody knew who they were because it was, you know, it was it was a while ago. Nobody recognized marijuana leaves. And we took them home, and we cut them, and we dried them, and we sold them, sold the sold the sold the leaf. Not 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 a percentage of THC in any of them, but it still tasted like pot. Yeah. And we took that money and we, we raised his bail money within a couple of days. Well, that was very creative of you. It was come on, it was capitalistic. It was it was desperation. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what it was to cut down wild pot plants well, in, in South Philadelphia. It was a memorable day. In the course of your career, prior to you becoming uh, best known for the uh, Experience, Strength, and Hope Awards and the Real Recovery Film Festival and the uh, Dixon Recovery Bulletin. Uh, you have the honor of meeting some uh, rather famous people, and even I think had your life saved by uh, was it uh, uh, Odetta and some of these other famous folk singers. Jake, considering I was in a house with Tim Hart and, and Fred Neal, you picked out Odetta. Yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> to explain to your audience just how famous these people were, someone that I guarantee. No one knows who she is anymore. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're, I said, we're, I meant we're nobody, old farts. What do you want? Nobody under seventy. Oh, knows okay. Who she is. Well, I'm over seventy. But <laughs> you were with some famous people when you had one of your famous asthma attacks. I was in a house, and I had an asthma attack, and my asthma inhaler had run out, and I didn't know it. Uh, and Tim Harden called nine one one, and I got rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. Uh, Almost suffocating. Uh, you know, it's very desperate. I had a number of very serious asthma attacks in my life, and uh, it's 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 in it's in the book. It's in my autobiography. I don't make a big deal of it, but at the time, as you can imagine, uh, you know, ultimately, one time I had to be put on a respirator where they stick this thing down your throat to make your lungs breathe. Yeah, otherwise I would have been a goner. Uh, tales that I don't care to relive now on a Saturday afternoon. No, I, uh, I, I relate, sir. I have been there. It's, it's uh, when I was younger. Yes, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, 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 that's a disease. I don't think alcoholism and drug addiction is a disease, but I do think asthma and diabetes and cancer are diseases. And I had it bad. I, I had it. Really bad, which is strange since I was smoking pot every day. You know, it's 
sort of insane behavior. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh, at the time, it doesn't seem like you have a choice. Or you're making the choice and you think it's a conscious choice, but maybe it's a subconscious choice or an unconscious choice or just stupidity, idiocy, uh, moronicness. Uh, you know, there's an element of self-destruction there, too. It's not smart. And I'm glad, ultimately, I, I'm just, I, you know, I did quit completely. Uh, and I'm just finishing listening to the Willie Nelson's new autobiography, who I love in, in so many ways. And there's a couple pages where he's praising marijuana as if it is, God, you know, God come down to earth with this gift that he has profoundly used and benefited from his most of his life. And it's really eloquent. Uh, anybody out there smoking pot who thinks about quitting but really doesn't want to, listen to this book and you'll be convinced never to quit. Because the way he talks about it with such high praise and insight, it's fabulous. On the other hand, yeah. There's no higher state than than being on nothing. So you were you were using for 26 years. Every what day. what motivated you to, to go to the Betty Ford Clinic and get clean? I thought I was about to be arrested, uh, and I was having a nervous day break break um, a nervous breakdown from a bad breakup. I had been using a lot of ecstasy. I had already stopped snorting cocaine after 13 years, but then I started snorting ecstasy. So between a bad breakup, a nervous breakdown, and literally thinking the cops were coming to get me because one of my good friends got busted with a load of Thai weed on a ship in, in, the, in the bay, uh, coming down the San Francisco Bay, and he used to come to my house to buy pounds of Hawaiian marijuana. I thought, and I caught someone taking a picture of my house. This is all within like a three-hour period. Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh shit, they're going to take the picture back to the jail, show it to my friend. He's going to say, yeah, that's the house where I scored, and they were going to come back and get me. The guy left, stopped, you know, with the camera left, got his car, drove away. I didn't want to ask who he was. Uh, but I knew he wasn't a real estate agent because the house wasn't for sale or anything. I didn't know. I thought he was with the cops. And and he left, and I went in and packed up my suitcases, jumped in my car, and uh, drove down to Big Sur, California. And I thought, if I check in, I'm shaken. I'm thinking, maybe I should check into a rehab. And if they come to arrest me, at least it looks good in front of the judge that I was at a rehab. Uh, and that's what I did. And I ended up driving there uh, 29 years ago. Wow. Uh, I drove myself there, and I remember going up to the front desk, and I said, is this where I check in? And the woman says, check in? It's not a hotel. It's a hospital. This is where you get admitted. <laughs> I said, I ain't going to admit nothing. <laughs> What I found interesting is that when you were in there, you saw someone that you knew from before. My girlfriend. Yes. Oh, no. She came as a guest speaker. Oh. She 
had gotten clean and sober after our breakup. This was like from a year before. Lori L., fabulous woman. Uh, she used to be on the barbitual, uh, she was on the, the Marilyn Monroe diet. <laughs> oh, God. I remember going to the bar in, in Burbank. Uh, the Money Tree, the jazz bar, and she was at the bar <clears throat> drinking and taking, uh, not phenobarbital, what's the sleeping pill? Yeah. Yeah. Barbiturates, yeah. The barbiturates and drinking, and then the, she looked like a wreck, and then there she was, the guest speaker at, a, at, at Betty Ford, like a year later, and I thought, Wow. And when and after the meeting was over, and I went over and said hi, hi. She said, "Hey, you want to see where Elizabeth Taylor fucked Gary the Carpenter? She ended up hooking up with. Remember that scandal? Elizabeth Taylor met her future husband at Betty Ford. Wow. He was a carpenter, but they fell in love and they broke the rule and they messed around at Betty Ford, which is." You know, obviously foreboding. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, you want to go see where they did it? I said, no, I'm <laughs> really. <laughs> she, did she want to replicate that adventure? Now that you're not drinking, you don't, you don't look that promiscuous. <laughs> did you kind of slink down in your chair when you first saw her? The old nose will see me here. I did that, yes, in the lecture hall. I, I thought, oh, God, I don't want her to see me. And then I realized, hey, she was here. She's doing good, and you know the first couple of weeks of not using drugs, and drinking, everything is new. Everything is like you're in a new continent. Nothing is familiar. You have to be retaught how to do everything. Uh, did to, you uh, did you go through any withdrawal symptoms, DTs, anything like that? Uh, you know they said <clears throat> that they were going to keep me uh, surveilled because I had been taking Valium. They said, I take like a five milligram volume like every other day. They said, well, we found it in your blood test. We're going to keep an eye on you. But no, I did not go through any, just to not be able to sleep, just the, the, the funkiness of not being able to smoke a joint before going to bed was hard. Uh, you know, so you, you can't sleep that well. And you're down. You're a little bit mope, you know, because you're used to getting high every day, and now you're not. Uh, and it's uh, and it was it was a great facility at that time. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed that it only took a month. Well, most people it, it only takes an, a split second. How long does it take to quit? A split second, a half a second, not even a second. Maybe just a thought, a thought. I gotta quit. Boom, you've done, you're done. It's, it's, not, it's not like uh, building a lamp or uh, a couch or repairing a car. It just happens. And if you go to any kind of 12-step meetings, people will share how went to their first PA meeting and never drank again. It's a, it's a, it's, I call it a miracle. You know, I call it a miracle because I've been using every day for 26 years and I went and it happened the second day I was there. The second day I was there, I walked outside, and suddenly I knew I would never use drugs again, which is bizarre. It's like you think, I've gone insane. Or I was insane, and now I'm not. 
And it's a glorious thing if there's anybody who happens to be listening who's on the cusp. You know, my definition, like when I, I said, when I did cocaine, I did cocaine for every day for 13 years. Whoa. But it was only in the 13th year that I think I was addicted. Because for 12 years, every time I did a line or a spoon, I did it because I wanted to. But in the 13th year, you know, I'd, I'd wake up, you know, in the morning and think, I'm not going to get high until after dinner today. But right after lunch, I'd be snorting. You know, I'd wake up on a Friday and say, I'm not going to get high this weekend. By Friday night, I was getting high. I could, and, and, and so to me, the definition of, of, of addiction is telling yourself you're not going to do something and you do it anyway. Yeah, that's a self-destructive attitude. Well, it's, it's from the inability to say no. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I if you love drinking every night, I don't think you're an alcoholic. Unless you love drinking every night and you fall down and crack open your head one night and then a week later you're drinking again. Or your wife says, if you keep drinking, I'm leaving you, and she leaves you. And if your children come up and you say, Dad, I don't like seeing you drunk every night, and he says, fuck you, and they move out, then, you, then you're an alcoholic. Otherwise, you just enjoy drinking. It's only when it causes harm to yourself or others that that's also the definition of addiction, traditional. It's when it, you know, it's when it, when it causes problems, but you don't stop anyway. To, to me, the definition is you tell yourself you're not going to overeat at dinner and you overeat anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, it's when the more synapses you have in your brain for doing something, the more you're going to, you know, that's like a call and response pattern. You have so many patterns for it that it's your almost, it's not, it's just like your automatic response to the situation because you've done it so often unless you and it becomes like a habit. <laughs> yeah, unless you pause and reflect. It's like, if you imagine you have a remote control on your decision-making process like you do with your TV. You can hit pause and reflect and choose what you're going to do instead of just automatically going on to, the, to what your synapses have been programmed to do. You do have the ability to pause and reflect and go, no. But people in general, Burl, are afraid of that introspection. They don't want to see the ugliness that they know is there. And so, even though you may have the ability to pause, they people just don't want to. That's why, that's why it's so difficult to make that split-second decision. I'm, I'm going to stop now and really stick to it and then do it. Um, you know, what's the old saying? You have to hit rock bottom before you can start your climb back up. I don't know if that's true or not. What do you think, Leonard? Do you think people have to hit rock bottom? Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. No, that's an old, an old paradigm. A lot of, you know, you hit bottom when you stop digging. Yes. <laughs> I think that's well put. And, uh, you know, the, the, the owner of the Sackler family or the, the guy who ran the Sackler family who created the, you know, the opiate yeah. 
Christian thing in America with Oxycontin, and there's been movies about them, and, and they're all really good. Uh, he said the trick to selling their opiate product was, he said, people are either moving away from pain or moving away from pain, and we have a pill that will help them move away from pain. So what's the life is all about? Avoiding pain. And some of these substances for a time help you avoid pain and introspection. Uh, yes. I remember, I think in my book it talks about my first, my, one of my first addictions was obviously my mother's milk. I couldn't live without it. Uh, and that came. I, and I remember experience in a little bit later in life of turning on the Sony tube, you know, crackled with light. I literally feel my brain shutting down. I could feel my head, my brain turning off as the TV came on. And it's because TV is a really great doctor of the loneliness. Or, or you, you know, you're not that lonely when you're watching TV compared to sitting in your house with no radio and no TV on. Yep. You're you absolutely, know, I agree with you 100%. I used to wonder how people could watch some shows that I didn't like that seemed like mindless crap until I was going through a real difficult time in my life. And I turned on the TV and it was like Gilligan's Island or something. And it was like suddenly there was this mindless relief. (laughs) (laughs) And then I understood. It was like taking a vacation. Yeah, well, you were probably... Thinking that oh there's that John De- that uh, De- what's his name Denver who played who yeah. played Gilligan yeah. Bob, it was Bob, Bob Denver Bob, or yeah, Maynard Bob. G Krebs one of yeah. them. obviously Maynard G Krebs on the original Dobie Gillis show right and he's the first person who ever said on television Salonius uh, Monk <laughs> he is was yes because he was he was a beatnik. Yeah, and uh, that was a tremendous performance. Before anybody outside the black community ever heard of Thelonious Monk. Anyway, be that last thing. Um, So you guys do this show, like what is it, like 40 weeks a year? Not not, not on holidays. And you have interesting people on, and and criminals and cops. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And you have... Listeners and fans, uh, I've been so fortunate to, to know Burl Bear uh, for at least 15 years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so I've gotten his wisdom and his, his, his sharpness and his humor, you know, free of charge. Well, I can't say that actually free of charge. Just uh, you know, asking. Hey, Burl, you want to have a dinner? And I hear great conversations. And uh, he even left a message on my answering machine. So this is a little incestuous, I have to admit. When people call my office, they hear his voice, and they don't know what the hell to think. <laughs> <laughs> they know they've reached the offices of writers of treatment. <laughs> it's a good, I don't get a lot of messages because his, his voicemail leaves them speechless. <laughs> They can't. They don't know where the hell they just read. Uh, but I like it because uh, you know it's a, it's a very suave voice. <laughs> by, by 
by midday anyway. Uh, and are you both in the same studio? Or are you both? Yes, in yeah, we're, yeah, we're here and. Uh, we're, are you smoking cigars? Because I remember that's why I can't come to the studio. Well, the uh, for, if you're here for this show, then you're not. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But then uh, the show that follows us, then whoever is here, a lot of the people uh, do uh, have a stoke or two or three or four. And didn't you lose one of your? Your, your your cohorts, your co-stars. Yes, yes. Uh, we the, lost uh, two. The previous two co-hosts of this show uh-huh. uh, have uh, have moved on, <laughs> and uh, I and, and uh, I sit here with much trepidation. Yeah, <laughs> which one of us goes next? I've uh, I've been close a few times. <laughs> so, uh, idling outside the studio. Yeah. Uh, so my uh, new cardiologist just yesterday. He was feeling, uh, he's feeling pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, what did your new cardiologist say? My cardiologist is feeling quite fine. Oh, but, good. I'm yeah. seeing my new cardiologist on Monday. Well, say hi for me. My last guy just retired. Oh. In the space of six months, my accountant of the last 45 years, he retired, and my cardiologist retired. If, if, if my dentist retired, I would lose, I, I would have no Lose teeth. your teeth. <laughs> Seriously, because I don't like new people playing with my body. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine was upset that her doctor, who was like 92 years old, passed away. And uh, she doesn't want to change her plan because the uh, doctor that replaced uh, him just automatically renews her clonopin prescriptions. <laughs> And she doesn't want to risk not uh, having those renewed because she sells them every month. Oh my! Okay, so what's her what's her situation? What's her conundrum? Well, she doesn't want to uh, change her uh, insurance plan because the doctor who replaced her doctor doesn't do anything except automatically renew her prescriptions. Okay, and she sends them some flowers once a year as a thank you. <laughs> yes, that's fine. Yeah, so, so. you know because. Uh, because they don't want what's happened, as you probably know, is that people who actually need certain medications are having trouble getting them because of the uh, abuse factor of some of these medications. Yeah, you, you actually do just say she needs them because she sells them. Yes, but there are those who actually need them. Well, let them fend for themselves. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a- Interesting world. You mentioned Elizabeth Taylor. I had an acquaintance who Elizabeth Taylor used to buy her medications from my friend. Uh, and he wasn't a pharmacist, right? Yeah. They called it an, an unlicensed pharmaceutical supplier. So, yeah, hobby. Yes, I, I, I did. I was a pharmacist for many years myself. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you get out of Betty Ford, and now you're, you, uh, you're sober. Correct. So, how how does it go now, from what you were doing to starting your career over, or coming up with a new career? It starts slowly. It starts without too much regret. Uh, it starts with uh, turning over a new leaf and not tempted to do drug deals anymore. And now when I walk past marijuana stores in my neighborhood, 
I'm both elated and pissed off at the same time. So I thought, I could have gone away for 10 years if they had ever stopped me with 20 pounds of pot in the trunk. And now they're selling it legally on every other corner. But how glorious it is, because when I did quit smoking pot 29 years ago, the first thing I did, I looked for people with petitions to get pot legalized. Because I think in a hundred years from now, they're going to look at back at this era as dark ages where we would throw mostly young black men into jail for smoking pot. Right. You know, how criminal, how barbaric is that? Just keep the people who own the private prisons in money. It's been a horror show. And I think the legalization of marijuana in America is one of the greatest, you know, uh, advancements of, of particular civilization at the time. How criminal it was to put people in jail. And they would have put me in jail for a long time because I had a lot of weed. Okay, I, you know, I, I used to go to Florida and put 100 pounds of pot in my Chrysler uh, New Yorker and drive it up through Georgia, through South Carolina, places that would I'd still be in jail if I got busted in those right. southern and it's still illegal down there. Uh, listen, yeah, it's it's a, it's interesting. It, it's uh, really, really. And why was it made illegal back in the thirties or forties? Harry Anslinger with the drug something. Remember him? The oh yeah, guy who helped make it illegal because they wanted to bust the uh, Mexicans. Yep, the only people smoking at that time. Uh, it was all based on corruption and then hatred and prejudice. All the drug laws, they should all be legal. How dare someone go to jail selling cocaine? That's why you have uh, what was called law enforcement against prohibition. Because prohibition of alcohol didn't work. It's called LEAP. Yeah, law enforcement against prohibition. LEAP, L-E-A-P. Yep. Yes, uh, all of it. How much money would the, you know... How much less violence would there be? There'd be no cartels shooting up each other if you could just go into CVS and buy a $10 bag of heroin every day. Uh, that's why they don't have any link between drugs and crime. And what is it, uh, Switzerland or Sweden, one of the two? Portugal, Switzerland. Yeah, Portugal is taking care of that problem. Yes, but we are a profit motive, profit motive, profit, profit motive, Motive country, uh, and that's the way it is. What are you What are you going to do? Take care of yourself. Take care of your children. Take care of your family. You know, take care of yourself, girl. And Mark, you're 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 not a pot smoker anymore, are you? No, I never was. Uh, I, as you've mentioned, I was uh, as asthmatic uh, as you as you were as a child, oh. as a younger person. Well, I, uh, I, mean, I spent uh, many a night in an oxygen tent at the hospital when I was a kid. Uh, well, you, you, you like those chapters in my book. If I may, can I just read for your audience the table of contents? Sure. Let me read the uh, table of contents. It's, 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 it's almost uh, really interesting, I think. And I am doing a read, a quick reading of... of, of uh, What's it called? Hi. X-rated Mac at the 12th Step Store on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood on December 12th. 
And if you show up there and say, I'm a friend of Burl, I'll give you a free copy of the book. Woo. But don't wait until then. Buy one now, and then I'll <laughs> give you a second copy because you'll want to give it away for Christmas. Okay? That's December uh, 12th, the 12th Step Bookstore. It's not as boring as it sounds. It's really a cool place, very cool place. There's a cat that lives there you can pet. Uh, oh, that'll do well with the allergies. Except <laughs> for you, Mark. You, you, don't come in. <laughs> just, just, just call the ambulance and have it waiting for me. There's contents. Chapter 1. Grief like a torn dress should be left at home. Two, the starting gate. Three, let's make a deal. You can guess what that chapter's about. Mm -hmm. Four, fortune will always come to a house with laughter. That's for you, Beryl. Thank you. Five, do everything you can and don't get caught. <laughs> chapter six, picture this FBI close call. That's when the FBI raided my house. And as they were about to take me in, the guy says, wait a second, I know this kid. He was the son of the fruit and vegetable man. And he looks at his FBI buddies and he says, hey, I know this kid, let him go. And because somebody had sent me some coke from Columbia and the cops came right into the house after the envelope got there. Uh, and luckily, uh, the guy knew me. And so that's another good thing about Philadelphia. It's a small, it's a six. Anyway, number seven, he who strongly desires desires to move up will think of a way to build a ladder. That's true. Eight, always make room for fools and madmen, kids and moms. Chapter nine, London calling. Chapter ten, oh mama, can this really be the end? That's when I was pronounced dead at Cedar sinai uh, Chapter eleven, lost again. You, you remember that chapter, Burl? Me coming to out of a blockout in a convertible in oh, Florida? Oh, yes. To the ATM machine? Yes, I remember that chapter very well. That's one of my favorites. I figured it could have, should have been you. Okay, chapter 12. Blackmailed Paris, the doors, miles ahead. Chapter 13. No massage for you, just a message. That's when I had my bottom while I was having a massage. Chapter 14, Young and the Restless. Chapter 15, Temptations, My Girl, and Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Chapter 16, A Lot Happens Quickly. Chapter 17, Second Breath. Chapter 18, Two Eyes to See, One Ear to Hear. That's after I had brain surgery and I lost the hearing in my left ear. That's called Two Eyes to See, One Ear to Hear. But as well, I'm sure you remember from the book, I, the only other... Species on Earth with um, with one ear. It only has one, you know, mono mono. The only other creature on Earth with one ear is a praying mantis. Really? So I'm in good company. Um, <laughs> well, as said, long as you're not the male getting eaten. Uh, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> how she looks. Uh, that's 19. Addiction is not a disease. It's an addiction. Almost done. Chapter 20. Ready for my close-up? And chapter 21. Betty Ford died sober. I should be so lucky. So if any of those chapters appeal to anybody, uh, it, you can download it. It's like 420 on Amazon for the download. Nice. If you like to read on your Kindle or your iPhone or your... 
pad or your whatever. That's it. Uh, so how many more hours is this show? Oh, we got a couple of minutes. Oh, no. I was just getting ready to reveal my greatest secret of all. <laughs> Go ahead. Reveal your greatest secret. Oh, shit. You'll have to tune back in next year. <laughs> um, um, tell us about uh, Writers in Treatment and the Real Recovery Film Festival. Uh, the main thing I want you to look at is, yeah, writersintreatment.org. And writers is with a T. In is, is, is I-N. Treatment is uh, treatment.org. So it's writers and treatment. It's writersintreatment.org. Some good information there. Uh, I won't give out some of my uh, other website, the Addiction Recovery eBulletin.org, because I have a feeling your listeners are not uh, handcuffed to a, a, a crack pipe or a syringe or a bottle of delicious Swedish vodka. <laughs> but if they are, <laughs> and you want to quit, give me a call, because that's what happens, because uh, you realize... When you're not doing drugs and you're not drinking, you never come down. You're high all the time. And most people are afraid of that. At least when you're using drugs and you're having a bad trip, you think, oh, well, at least I'll come down. But when you're not using anything, you never come down. And that high flying is a little too challenging for people. But it is an incredibly glorious way to live. You have to grow wings. It's like that old cliche, marijuana gave me wings, and then it took away the sky. Ooh, how profound. Wow. Poor old man. Hey, and remember, Experience, Strength, and Hope Awards coming up December... 6th. December 6th. Skirball. Institute, right on the 405, free parking. Yeah, free parking, that makes it all, oh, all worthwhile. Do you have to take the tram up to the Skirball? No, that's no, that's the that's the Getty. Ah, it's oh. the Getty. That's the Getty. You can drive. You drive right up there, and, and it's uh, it, it's it's a museum during the day, and at night we take over and have a great party. Oh, it is a great party. I've been there. It's fun. Yeah, you'll be there again. I after. certainly hope so. Uh, so anybody that contacts me through this radio show gets two for one. Well, very nice. Heck of a deal. It's a little money because they charge us a fortune for the. For the catering. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Thank but, you, Lenny. What? What? You want, you want good food? You want good food? Cost. You got to pay for it. And there's always extra meatballs. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Lenny. Always uh, fun to talk to you. Hi, Mark. Hi, Bye. Burl. Bye-bye. Hey, Burl. Yeah. What be next? What's next is Magic Matt Allen, the deepest of decadence, live from the Lighten Up Lounge. And the proud boys are tuning in. <laughs> and they're still proud. Of course, Burl Bear proving what an idiot he <laughs> continues to be. Thank you.